Wow. Wow, wow, wow. What is it in a Senate hearing when somebody's going to speak and they say, I yield my time to so-and-so? I, it's fine. You guys want to just come back on. And that was awesome. Really appreciated what you said, too, Garrett, about this place, and it's an invitation. It's really all you can do, right, is invite somebody into a place and offer them and somehow facilitate them to learn of God as he works in their heart. You know, the gospel means good news. Too often it's treated as meaning good advice. It's just good news. What you do with that news, news by definition, is something changed. Something has happened. That's newsworthy. What you do with that, that's up to you. But it is really, really good news. And I'm so honored to be able to speak of that good news this morning, particularly with people like you. Very uh, thankful that we've got friends, Roger and Kay, here to check me out. (coughs) The title of teaching is Creation and Covenant. There's a bigger story, I guess, on that, or a bigger frame that I'm not going to try to cover all of. Um, And I know some of you think, well, you usually do, Steve. Why not this time? But... But if you really think about the history of God's story and God's people, you can kind of frame it that the the thing that distinguishes God's people throughout history is that this belief in a one God who is the creator and a belief that there is a covenant relationship with him also called a calling or an election that he has for each of us and us collectively. And then there's a hope in theology called eschatology, I think hope sounds better. Um, and it's, it, that's how our life is really framed, and that's how you could almost frame God's interaction with human beings. Today, we're going to talk about creation and covenant. I've talked in the past teachings a lot about the hope and where we're going, and that it's not going to heaven away from earth. It's heaven coming to once again be joined with earth, as in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth. That is where we're going. But as we go there... Understanding creation and covenant is the key to us living in the grace of life. I'm going to start with kind of the negative version of this, what happens when you don't do it. In Romans 1, 20 through 25, it says, For from the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, both his eternal power and deity, are discerned clearly, clearly discernible being understood in the things created so that they are without excuse, that they and that is us. There's no excuse for humankind to miss his attributes. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. Now, how, okay, how do you know God? Well, he just told us. The way you know there's a God is the, the things that he created speak so clearly and articulately, you can't miss it. So you kind of know, but if you don't honor him as God or give thanks, gratitude, they become futile in their reasoning and their senseless hearts become darkened or were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God with the likeness of an image of mortal human beings and birds, and quadrupeds, and reptiles. That's a step down from the creator of the heavens and the earth. 
Therefore, God gave them over in the desires of their hearts to immorality, that their bodies would be dishonored among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God with a lie and worshiped and served the creation rather than the creator who is blessed for eternity. Amen. Now, I'm not reading this to you because I think you all need to have a reformation here right now because you've been really caught up in worshiping quadrupeds or something. It's to say all of us, though, live in the ether of a world that does this, that although God is so evident, they don't honor it as God, and they don't have gratitude, and we are in that ether. It's, it's, a, it's systematic deception and systematic error that has been woven into the very fabric of cultures and world's philosophies. So we have to be intentional about not losing this clear wonder and awe in the face of God's good creation and, and have gratitude for it. The, the, the problem we have, particularly as we live in our current society, is that this, this misnotion of science having an explanation for everything, it can't begin to explain how there's something as opposed to nothing. There is not a scientist on the planet who has ever lived or ever will live who can explain why is there not nothing instead of something. It is the, it's the impossible, you can't answer that except, well, there just is. Well, why? But why? Because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It is the most fundamental, basic part of life for us. And as we believe, if we will, as believers, understand that we have to be aware of this and move in that and be intentional about reverencing God. I mean, this is, you know, wonder, awe, gratitude. These are mixed together into reverence. And reverence of God is the beginning of wisdom. Without this, there is no wisdom. There might be a lot of intellect and a lot of intelligence and a lot of technology and all that kind of thing, but wisdom, not without this. So we don't want to let the materialistic, unbelieving world kind of knock us off our perch of wonder and awe at God's creative goodness. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. You can see it everywhere. Seek it, embrace it, learn of him through his many marvelous works because he is clearly evident. If we will live in the rhythms of his creation, we will become an heir of the grace of life. And this is basic to living by faith. Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Well, that blows away materialism, which is, for some of you, you know this, materialism, you know, scientific materialism is the current prevailing philosophy across the world, that everything is explainable by things that are material. Well, that just blew that away because it says, hey, everything that is material was, was made by something that's not. That's faith. It also happens to be good news. It also happens to be right and truthful. When we go to the Old Testament and read about Israel and Jews where we're going to go, I think too often we bring our 20th and 21st century view of Jews and our understanding of Israel and stuff into the picture. 
And, and so you end up thinking about this, you know, like, when you think of Jews, you often, you're going to bring up, if you're my age, you're going to bring up, well, Nazi Germany and, you know, World War II and, and you know, the founding of Israel in 1948. And, and if you're not my age, you're, you're going to think, I don't know what you're going to think. But, I mean, whatever you're thinking, the tendency is to bring that kind of cultural artifact of Jews and Israel into the picture when we read the Old Testament. Don't do that. That's not who they are. You know, and we often look at the Old Testament as like it's a chronicle of a failed project. Israel failed. You know, they were as sinful as the Gentiles around them. They failed in their mission. And so God had to come from, he just intervened, randomly just came into history, boom, brings Jesus, cancels the Old Testament, initiates a new one. And so the Old Testament is a, it's a failed project. How does that fit with a God who had made a covenant with Abraham and said, I will never break it? It doesn't. <laughs> so we are living in a time that has to include God fulfilling his covenant promises to Israel. It has to be because he doesn't break his promises. So when we read the Old Testament, understand you are connecting yourself in a stream of history and a stream of a covenant-keeping creator that he wants you to understand. This is what you're part of. And I'm as faithful today as I was then, and I am faithful to what I said to Abraham. And so when we read the Old Testament, think of the Old Testament scriptures as not something that's part of a failed project. And yet it's nice to know because it's a ramp up to the Gospels, which then leads to the church, which is what really counts. Read it all as God's narrative, as creator and covenant-keeping God. Starting with Genesis 1.1, when he created the heavens and the earth, he covenanted at that moment that I am a good God and this is a good place and heaven and earth are designed to be together with human beings at the center of it. He covenanted that that's the way things are going to be and that's the way they will be and that's our hope. You know, Paul understood this. He, he talked about what is the quintessential thing that defines us as Christians, right? It's that Jesus Christ died and God raised him from the dead. And he talks about that in 1 Corinthians 15 to a bunch of Gentiles. And he says to them, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. In accordance with the This is, has to be Old Testament, right? that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So, you know, when we think about the scriptures, as Paul did, we're thinking about them as a chronicle of God's covenant-keeping, you know, creative nature that is continuing. And it continued all the way to Jesus Christ's resurrection of the dead, which we'll get to. So when we read the Old Testament, don't think of people, you know, when we talk about Jews or Israel, don't think of them in the 20th or 21st century framework. It's real simple. Who were they? The people of God. That's it. Are you the people of God? Yeah. So the, con- the continuity has to be understood and grasped if you're going to really appreciate in accordance with the Scriptures. In Isaiah 51 Verse 12, it says, I, yes, I, am the one who comforts you. So why are you afraid of mere humans who wither like the grass and disappear? 
Yet you have forgotten the Lord, your creator, the one who stretched out the sky like a canopy, the one who laid the foundations of the earth. Will you remain in constant dread of human oppressors? Will you continue to fear the anger of your enemies? Where is their fury and anger now? It's gone. Why is it gone? Because he's here. (laughs) And they're just mere humans. It says in uh, verse 14, Soon all you captives will be released. Imprisonment, starvation, and death will not be your fate. For I am the Lord your God, who stirs up the sea and causes its waves to roar. My name is the Lord of heaven's armies, and I have put my words in your mouth and hidden you safely in my hand. I stretched out the sky like a canopy and laid the foundations of the earth. I am the one who says to Israel, you are my people. Here it is. It's creator and covenant God all wrapped in these verses. Do you see it? There, it's, he's creator and he's covenant God. There, it's all one God. Two major attributes, though, that we have to keep in mind. This creator, this powerful, amazing, awesome, wonderful God who has made himself clearly visible in the things that he made is the one who has covenanted with us to be his people. So what are we afraid of? And why do we want to give such credit to human oppressors? In Psalm 19... Verse 1, I better look it up, because I didn't memorize it, I'm sorry. Yeah, I know, which is a good thing. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end, in the, uh, end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. Now he pivots. He goes from talking about kind of creation, him, you know, attributes of creation, He pivots to the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? How do I discern my errors? It's like David prayed, you know, God created me a clean heart. Try my reins. If there's anything wrong in there, let me know. How can I discern my errors? Well, I can't. That's why they're errors, by the way. (laughs) Declare me innocent. From hidden faults, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, 
my rock, my redeemer. I mean, it's a beautiful illustration of creator and covenant God who sent his word and has given us his thoughts and purposes in his heart in the form of words so that our heart can be right with him. Not because he wants us to behave like, you know, in the morally correct way. He wants us to commune with him. And he doesn't want any sin to be an obstacle between him and us. That is why it must must be removed. Not to, you know, live in uh, under the, you know, the the harsh hand of a God who wants to hit you with a, you know, a stick every time you do something wrong. He's keeping track of your black marks, blah, blah. No, it's a God who from the beginning wanted to dwell with us and his presence with you is what he desires above all else. And he just doesn't want anything in the way of that. Let's go to uh, Hebrews 4. You know, when he talks about the sun coming out of the chamber and, you know, nothing is hidden from the heat, it made me think of this verse. And then he goes into his precepts and his word and his, you know, all the things that he has given to direct our hearts. And how nothing is hidden from that either. Nothing is hidden from God's word. Um, And in Hebrews 4, 12, it says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. I love that. It's living and active. And active. If the word of God in your mind is text on a page, think bigger, zoom out, get larger in how you think about it. The text on the page is simply an artifact or a derivative of the greater reality that the word, the logos, it's the purpose, it's the intents of the heart, it's the plans, it's the thoughts of God that he is talking about here. And when those come to you, and they can come to you through the text on the page, but not without the Spirit bringing them into your heart and soul so you can understand it. But when that happens, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit. Soul and spirit, and it goes on, it says, of the joints and marrow. Joints and marrow aren't supposed to be divided. If that happens in you, you got a problem, serious problem. And guess what? Soul and spirit aren't supposed to be divided either. They are supposed to be completely integrated. So that your spirit, your human spirit, your soul is integrated with the spirit of God and so that his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. That is how we are designed to do. And then what manifests it, what carries it out is something called your body. So you need all three and all three are super important and don't compartmentalize those. But the word of God is able, it's that sharp. It's that, it, and so it allows us then to discern the thoughts and intents of our heart. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And that sounds so ominous, right? But again, who wants to be out of alignment with God? Raise your hand. That would take a lot of courage for you to do that. Um, who has found themselves out of alignment with God? Okay. You don't have to bother raising your hand. We all. So we don't want it, right? And so it's a good thing when he calls us to account. It's, don't you want him to show you and be able to you know, help you discern thoughts and intents of your heart that are not in alignment? Because it's the only way we're going to be right with him. And that's all that counts. So that's the loving creator God who created us. He designed his body, soul, and spirit. 
And now he is able to work in us and give us through his logos, his words, his thoughts, through the Spirit, an ability to discern the thoughts and intents of our hearts so that we can be fully human in the way he designed us to be. Psalm 65, it says, By awesome deeds in righteousness you will answer us, O God of our salvation. You who are the confidence of all the ends of the earth and of the far-off seas, who established the mountains by his strength, the one who is girded with might, who stills the roar of the seas, the roar of their waves, and the commotion of the peoples, so that the inhabitants of the farthest reaches are in awe of your signs. You make the dawn and sunset sing for joy. I love that. The dawn and the sunset sing for joy. Every day we live in a created world. The earth he created, the way he created it, every day we see these beautiful signs and evidence of his faithfulness to his covenant to his people. The sunset and the dawn, every day the sun rises, every day it sets, and it doesn't really matter what's going on, (laughs) how chaotic the world is, no matter what's happening in the realm of human affairs and all of the foolishness that abounds, the sun rises and the sun sets and they sing for joy because there is an innate knowledge of the created thing that there is a God, he is evident, and thank you. Isn't that something? I mean, that, this is how we can be aware. They, these are things God has gifted us with. So daily we can be in touch and in commune in his faithfulness as the creator God and his covenant to us. You know, Tony was talking about, look, there's going to be heat. Now, why is there going to be heat? Well, because he hasn't come back yet, and we haven't set things to right. We haven't all had that set to right. I mean, check out your body if you have any doubts about that. It's not the new body yet, is it? So you know there's more to come. There's a lot more to come. And so in between here and there, yeah, there's heat, definitely. Jesus Christ said, hey, if I was persecuted, so will you be. <laughs> so, I mean, let's not get too, you know, overwhelmed by that. Let's not be surprised by it. And so crying out to God is a very, very common theme of the people of God throughout the Old Testament and also in the New. You know, why did the heathen rage and imagine vain things? That was a prayer in the book of Acts. You know, so I don't know about you, but I think we live in a time that's worth crying out to God in. I mean, you know, there seems to be a real compelling need to do that. We despair of the, the oppression of the loud lies of worldly powers who spout foolishness and nonetheless seem to gainly, you know, add to their grip on our culture. We're not immune to that bringing despair into our lives and thoughts of worry and doubt, you know, and that's okay because we cry out to God and we remember that our God is faithful to his covenant. He is the creator of life, and he will bring life and light even when all seems dark and dying. And he has always done that. In Genesis 1, in verse 1, you know, in, in Genesis 1 and 2, 
it says that the, the Ruach Elohim, the Spirit of God, hovered, moved over the waters. And then God brings life and light into existence. It's the same Ruach Elohim, Spirit of God, that breathes life into the nostrils of Adam. But God as creator, does, he didn't stop there. I think sometimes we think, well, you know, Genesis 1 and 2, that's it. It's over. The creative part is done. And then we mucked it up, and I don't know, now we've got to wait for him to show up again and do something. Nah, man, he never stops creating. Never. He is a creator God in covenant with us. Therefore, he will continue to create. And, you know, as a covenant God, he's obligated to fix the problem that happened with Adam. He's obligated to do that. He has to do that. Because, he's, you know, he, he purposed heavens and earth with human beings sitting at the intersection of that, being rulers and priests in his good creation, bringing his attributes, his nature, to the far ends of the earth, to the far ends of being fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it. That was his plan. Do you think he's been foiled in his plan? No. So he's obligated to fix the challenge that was presented to him when Adam decided not to be a ruler and priest and to decide to make his own decisions about what's evil and what's not. So he, how did he do that? Well, he did it through a covenant with Abraham. And what did this covenant with Abraham culminate in? What was the promise to Abraham? He said, well, you're going to be a father of many nations. It's going to be like the sand of the sea, right? Stars of the sky. Well, this is a problem because he can't have kids. It's not happening. And Sarah's womb is dead. And, and by the time it gets, it gets consummated, this covenant promise gets consummated, it says he's old and so is she. And what happened? God created. What did he create? A baby. <laughs> in a dead womb named Isaac, in whose seed Christ would be called. That was the covenant with Abraham. So he didn't stop creating. He created a, a, an ovum you know, a fertilized egg in Sarah's womb that grew into a child that started the whole fix that he started with Abraham. How about when Israel's in Egypt? How did he, how did he get him out of that? Did he, he created, right? He created a way out of Egypt that was like, who would have ever conceived of it? But he did, through the Red Sea, etc., etc. And then when, he, when they got into the land, after the law and stuff, he, the Ruach Elohim, it says, moved in a guy named Belazel, or Bezel, Bezalel, who was a skilled craftsman, and it was Bezalel who directed the building of the tabernacle, which was the place that God could finally once again show up, be present with his people, and his Shaganic glory would fill the tent, the tabernacle. Throughout the Old Testament, God creates ways for his covenant people to find life, no matter what the situation is. And when they saw his works and they saw his marvelous you know, miracles, they would cry out to the Creator in light of those, and he would deliver them from their fears. To the peace that comes when we live out this wonderful verse, be still and know that I am God. 
Psalm 144, verse 11 says, Save me, rescue me from the power of my enemies. Their mouths are full of lies. They swear to tell the truth, but they lie instead. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. May our sons, listen to this, may our sons flourish in their youth like well-nurtured plants. May our daughters be like graceful pillars carved to beautify a palace. May our barns be filled with crops of every kind. May the flocks in our fields multiply by the thousands, even tens of thousands. And may our oxen be loaded down with produce. I mean, what is this describing? What everybody wants. (laughs) What we God's people want. Safety and beauty and a wonderful life for our sons, for our daughters. Prosperity. No want, no need. May there be no enemy breaking through our walls, no going into captivity, no cries of alarm in our town squares. Yes, joyful are those who live like this. Joyful indeed are those whose God is the Lord. And this is the faith that pleases God. This is, I mean, when we talk about by faith, I mean, this, this is what pleases God. That kind of faith that he is the covenant-keeping, creative God. It says in verse 6 of Hebrews 11, it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists, number one, and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Why would we be afraid of mere humans when we have a God who not only exists, but he as creator and covenant honoring God will reward us as we diligently seek him? What's there to worry about? Really. Then his creative ability continued. He created his only begotten son in the womb of a virgin, Mary. And John, when he writes his gospel, uses this as a a recapitulation of Genesis 1. He takes us all the way back to the beginning of the narrative. The gospel of John, written at the end of the first century probably goes back thousands of years to bring it all together and recapitulates Genesis 1. And when I read this, you know, I want you to see it that way. Let this, let the words kind of waft over you and and really help you understand. You're connected to in the beginning. It's a continuum. It's a story. It's a narrative of God's creative covenant relationship with us because he loves us so. And it says in John 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, not one thing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of humanity. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. A man came, sent from God, whose name was John. This one came for a witness. In order that he could testify about the light so that all who would believe through so that all would believe through him. That one was not the light, but came in order that he could testify about the light. Kind of like what we do. The true light, who gives light to every person, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, and the world did not recognize him. He came to his own things, and his own people did not receive him. But as many as did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave, them, gave to them authority to become 
children of God who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of a husband, but born of God. And the word became flesh, that logos, that was in the beginning with God, through which God created all things, that logos became flesh and took up residence among us, literally tabernacled among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the one and only from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This one was he about whom I said, The one who comes after me is ahead of me, because he existed before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace after grace. For the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came about through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The one and only God, the one who is in the bosom of the Father, that one has made him known. So think about this from kind of the history of things. Imagine... It's been 600 years or more since the presence of God was with his people, Israel. Left in Ezekiel, no presence of God. 600 years, they've been waiting for God to show up again. And so what does he do? The creative covenant God who promised in Isaiah, in Daniel, in the Psalms, Many times to his people in the Old Testament scriptures, he promised, I will come back. I will have my presence with you. And how does he show up? Not in the temple, but in the form of the word became flesh. I don't know what that was like to be in the presence of the very logos of God in the form of a man, Jesus. But now that had to be something. And so for a time, a very short time on earth, this is, what you ha- this is what God had done. He had shown up in the form of the one who's called the last Adam. A body, soul, and spirit human being. A fully human being, fully integrated, fully connected. Soul uncorrupted. Now connected to the Spirit of God in the form of a human being who walked about and said, the kingdom of heaven is right here. I know because I'm standing at the intersection of heaven and earth. I'm, I'm aware of it. It's right here. This is the portal. This is what it looks like. Let me tell you about the, the kingdom of heaven, which is accessible to you now because I'm here. That's my mission, to make it accessible. Let me tell you what it's like. Imagine a place where you have no anger. It's, it's absent. You have no anger in your heart. Imagine a place where you have no lust, no misplaced lust or desire. It's not there. Imagine a place where what the world calls poor and downtrodden and unblessable is absolutely blessed by the Creator. That's the kingdom. And it's right here. And so that's how God showed up. The creative God in covenant with his people showed up in Christ And yes, was reconciling the world unto himself. But what happened to Christ? Oh my gosh. The most inconceivable thing. I mean, are you kidding me? Is the servant from Isaiah who was supposed to come and lead Israel to victory over the dark powers of the world, set up a kingdom, basically kick butt, right? And and just stand there and say, there's a new sheriff in town now, and it's me, Jesus. 
is just dishonorably arrested, beaten, and hung on a cross. The worst kind of possible death. Beat to the point where he could not be recognized as a man, his visage so marred. And he's standing there and Pilate says, behold the man. Now think about that. Talk about evil. I mean, the evil force is just funneling through history, coming to the sharp point at that moment, at the place, yeah, God, this was your full man, this was your second Adam, this was the guy. Look at him. Look what we did to him. It's nothing. Except he was the full son of God hanging on the cross, and love exhausted all the evil of the powers of darkness on that cross, extinguished it, overcame it, was victorious over it, so victorious that Jesus Christ could say the last words, it is done. It's done. Do you, do you see the creative covenant God at work here? In ways you would never conceive. I mean, so even today we have to give him latitude to work in ways you're never going to figure it out. Don't try to assume you know how it's going to happen because he's just going to blow your mind and surprise you. He gets to do that because he's the creator. But he will do it because he has a covenant relationship with us and he's faithful to that. He, the, the righteousness of God is really the phrase to say he is faithful to his covenant. So what did he do? Jesus Christ is now dead. And buried. What did he do? He created what? A new body. I mean, he created a whole new body for this guy. A glorious body. Which, by the way, our new bodies will be fashioned like unto his glorious body. So that's part of our hope. But he created this whole new body. So magnificent. So incredible. We can see its abilities and its attributes in the Gospels as being like, wow. I mean, he's here and he's gone. Shows up through the wall, and then he's you know, like, dude, you can't even keep track of this guy. He didn't quite even look the same. We're not going to ask him who he is because we know it's the Lord, but dude, you look so different. So an amazing body, but suited perfectly for his new role. The creative God has put him in a whole new role. What's the new role? All authority over heaven and earth has been given unto me, he said. So we get into, and we're not going to go into this, time doesn't allow, but you get into the New Testament, you go to Colossians 1, and you realize that what happens here is Jesus, the resurrected Son of God, the man in full, who is now having authority over heaven and earth, reorders the kingdom (laughs) of heaven. New principalities, new powers, invites us into this reordered new kingdom, you know, through the Spirit that he sends that can transform us and make us conformable to his image. And what does God call that spirit in us? He calls it a new what? Creation. Same word used in Genesis 1. New creation. Again, he has created as the covenant God a a way for us to be restored. Do you understand? I mean, can you see it? Can you see the faithfulness that he has exhibited and done throughout all ages? And is he going to stop? Do you really think he's going to stop? And he's like, we're just, he's going to get so sick of us, like, I can't deal with it anymore. No, because he is like the ultimate zoomed out guy. 
He totally understands where this is going and where it's always intended to go. So we should just like relax and just get on board with it, you know. And, and that's where the individual comes in. That is where God will bring you into and so you can commune in your individual life because you're a unique person with unique experiences and unique abilities and unique ways of thinking, unique background. I mean, we're all so different, which is why, as Garrett said, we, you, I mean, if you try to come to a place and they're going to put you in some sort of box and here's the checklist of here's how you should be right with God, run away from that. It's impossible. It's never going to work. Is that how you, is that how you raise your kids? This is it. Here's the six things you're going to be, and you're going to... They're so different. I mean, good luck with that. That's the beauty of it, right? There's just a few things that God wants common to all of us. Just a few, but man, that real visceral, emotional, where you feel his presence, and you go to your knees in awe and gratitude, that is something that he is going to work in your heart as an individual. And it's the only way it's going to happen. So let us see ourselves as these new creations. 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, behold. That means open up your eyes, see it, grasp it, embrace it, immerse yourself in it. This is what's happening. The new has come. And that's the good news. So far beyond good advice. That's just something really changed. Something really has happened here. We are the people of God. And our connection to Abraham and to the people of God in the Old Testament is unbroken because the spirit of the living Christ has been sent into our hearts whereby we cry, Abba, Father, and we are now the children of Abraham because we believe. So let us worship God as both creator and covenant maker and covenant keeper. And by faith we know as we diligently seek him with our whole heart, as we cry out to him, he will create life in the midst of darkness and death. You know, and the next time you watch the sunrise or the sunset, you look into the heavens and you behold the stars, kneel down in your minds, if not in your bodies, and be in awe of the God who created everything out of his love and his desire to dwell with us, and be in awe and wonder and give thanks to God for creating us in newness of life and calling us his people. Okay? Father, we are so thankful to stand in your presence and to stand comfortably and peacefully and to know that you love us and nothing will ever separate us from that. Thank you, God, for calling us and for giving us a hope And in the meantime, for transforming our hearts and souls and our minds so we can love you with all that we are. And then we can take that love and love each other and reach to the world and tell them the good news of who you are. Thank you for this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.